So today's study is, uh, we're calling it Trophies of Grace. Look what Jesus has done. So if you're at 1 Timothy uh, 12, or 1 Timothy 1, um, we're going to start in verse 12 here in just a moment. But first, why, why trophies? Well, a trophy um, is when you have a trophy and you, you display it in your house. Does anybody have a trophy you've displayed in your house? Some of you guys? Or you know the idea of trophies, right? You get one, um, and it's, it's a way of saying, look what I've done, right? It's a way of saying, uh, I'm proud of this thing. And you look on the inscription, and there's usually describes like, you know, what you did or, or what you won um, or what you participated in. Um, but typically, when people have trophies, they display them where people can see them, and, and they're meant to communicate, hey, I am proud of this accomplishment. And as I was, as I was studying this, this passage that I've been, I've been kind of mulling on over for probably the last week, this phrase, trophies of grace, came to mind, and it's, it's uh, one of those, I don't know if Pastor Ben invented it, but I've just heard him say it a lot, and it's kind of a reference to uh, how as the Lord changes our lives through the power of the gospel, we become like a display, like a trophy of God's grace to the people around us, right? To the little pocket of community and people that we know and that know us, and they see the way that God has changed our lives, they can look at us and say, look what God has done. Look what Jesus has done. And that's exactly what Paul is describing in this passage. He's going to describe how, how Jesus has changed his life through the gospel, through the power of his grace, and how now his life is a testimony to us and all believers of the transforming power of the grace of God that can change the life of any and every person. Uh, and at the end of this, we're going to see how uh, recalling his testimony, it just creates this response of praise, uh, in, a praise and adoration in Paul's heart. So really quickly, uh, just to recap, and then we're going we're gonna to pray and get into it. Um, in, so far in 1 Timothy 1, since probably most of you haven't just been reading 1 Timothy, uh, Paul is writing uh, to Timothy, He's a young pastor in the city of Ephesus, and he is, um, he is encouraging Timothy to remain faithful to sound doctrine, to the word of God, and to the gospel. And he reminds him, he exhorts him to stay faithful to preaching the gospel. Why? Because it's only the gospel that can transform a person's life. Right? You can go to all sorts of religious programs and your, your heart is not changed. You might be able to modify your behavior a little bit, but only the gospel can transform a person's life. And so Paul had just finished in verse 11 talking about sound doctrine and and. and in rejecting anything that does not agree with sound doctrine. And he says, the sound doctrine is according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And that brings us to uh, verse 12, because he mentioned the gospel, and he's like, man, I've not just uh, lived the gospel, or I've not, just, uh, I've not just known the gospel intellectually, but I've experienced the way that it can transform us. So let's read the text. Um, stand with me, if you will, uh, as we read God's word together. Starting in verse 12, Paul says, 
He says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. However, for this reason I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, to God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Lord Jesus, as we come and we read your word, Lord, as we uh, just look at um, the trophy that you made of Paul, Lord, what you did in his life from taking him from being a blasphemer, an insolent man, a persecutor of your people, to being uh, one of the most well-known figures in the Bible, to being someone who gave their life, who was beaten, who was stoned, all these things for you, Lord. We look at Paul's life, Lord, and we just, we worship you for what you've done. And Lord, help us to understand and to know that you can do that in our lives as well, Lord. Um, and Father, I just pray that you would give me right now your Holy Spirit to speak your word clearly. Um, I need your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can take a seat. All right, so we start where Paul talks about being strengthened by Jesus. So this first verse is kind of going to be a, a, a summary of of how the gospel has transformed Paul, and then he's going to get into more details. I'm going to have the verses up here that we're, that we're studying on the screen so you can keep track. Uh, so he says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into ministry. He starts out by, by thanking Jesus. His praise begins that he, both at the beginning and the end of this section, are praise. His, Paul's testimony is rooted in gratitude to Jesus for what he has done. Now he says, I thank Christ Jesus who has enabled me. Now that word enabled, that's actually the first word in this passage that, that caught my eye. I was like, enabled? What does that mean that, that Jesus enabled me? That he made me able? And actually looking at the, um, at the Greek and, and kind of the root of this word, it's, it's very interesting because the word in Greek is en dunamo. So en means in, right? But dunamo is, is from the root word dunamis, which maybe you've heard that mentioned in sermons. Uh, that comes from, there. that word is one of the most prominent places in, is in the book of Acts. When Jesus tells his disciples in chapter one, you will receive, he says, remain here in Jerusalem and you will receive power, dunamis, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now he says, so in and then the power. So what he's saying is that Jesus has put his power in him. He has given him the, the ability. And so what, what is sparking Paul's praise is the way that Jesus has filled him with strength. Another place this word is used, this endunamo word, is in Philippians 4.13. Maybe you've heard this one. 
where he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. En dunamo, he strengthens me. And so everything that Paul did for Jesus, now this has to be our foundation, this is that everything that Paul did for Jesus was due to the fact that it was Jesus who gave him the strength, and therefore Jesus who receives all the glory. And the same goes for our life as well. When it's Christ who enables us, he receives the glory. So from that, Paul continues and he says, because he counted me faithful. That word um, that he counted, it's, it's like he judged me. You look at something and you make a judgment. This thing is good, this thing is not good, this thing is, is ready. And so the grace of God in Paul, it produced faithfulness to Jesus in Paul. And the result of that was that Jesus put Paul in a place of ministry or service to him. So he says, he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Now we hear this word, putting me into the ministry. And, and in our world today, we think, oh, that must mean somebody who is like in vocational ministry, right? Uh, like a full-time uh, pastor. So yeah, Paul got put there. But in the context, it just means servant. The Greek word is diakonos, where we get deacons from. It's just servant. And it's like how a servant like attends to a master, right? So he, he counted me faithful and he made me his servant. Now you think the contrast be, between Paul being a servant and what he used to be, which, was, which we'll get into as, as a blasphemer, as someone who hunted down Christians and who blasphemed Jesus. For Paul, it was a privilege it was something that he's bragging about here, that Jesus, he let me be his servant, right? You kind of think of the prodigal son who, who was, you know, his father was wealthy, but then when he, he went and he spent everything, he came back. He's like, Father, just let me be your servant. He considered it an honor just to be a servant of Jesus because he knew what he deserved. Now, I think it's worth noting that he says he counted me Faithful, And that is what was the prerequisite for Jesus placing him uh, into the ministry, is that he was faithful. He didn't say, he counted me talented. He counted me eloquent. He counted me outgoing or gifted or, or any of these other things. No, no, no. It was faithful. And the beautiful thing about this is that every one of us in this room, regardless of what the Lord has put before us, we can be faithful in it, right? It might not be the most like, well-known. We might not go down in the annals of history. We might not be in Fox's Book of Martyrs or anything like that. But we can be faithful. Amen? We can be faithful. That's what he desires of his servants is faithfulness. It's what he's called us to. And that's what he's going to judge us on when we stand before him. Were you faithful? So I, I kind of reference, you know, Paul and the... the from what Paul had come from to being a servant of Jesus now. So we're going to look at the beginning of verse 13, what Paul used to be. He's going to kind of back up the story. He says, Jesus has changed me. He has transformed my life. But let's go back to, to what I used to be. This is very remarkable. He says, although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent man. Right? Paul knew. He remembered clearly. We see it in many of his, his writings he remembered clearly who he was before he met Jesus. 
Right? He, was, he was a blasphemer. This is someone who speaks evil or, or slanders. And in this context, it was Jesus who he was blaspheming. Right? Paul was speaking slanderously against Jesus. He said he was a persecutor, which means to pursue or harass or, or trouble. We know um, that Paul not only troubled, but even killed believers. That's what he, that was his attitude towards followers of Jesus. And he says, I was an insolent man. It means to be, insolent means to be lifted up with pride, like insulting others, treating them shamefully. This is how Paul was as a person. Not exactly the most stand-up guy. Now, the book of Acts gives us several glimpses into, into, into what this looked like. Acts 8.3 says, as for Saul, his, his name before he met Jesus, says he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Acts 9 says that he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Acts 9, as Paul has met, or Jesus has met Paul on the road to Damascus, he said, who are you, Lord? And then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Right? He, he didn't even know that it was Jesus who had met him, that he was persecuting Jesus. Paul's own testimony in Acts 26, uh, as he's, he's talking to, to King Agrippa about who he was before Jesus, he says, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. This I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme, and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. I think it's safe to say that, and, and we know this to be true, that if you were a believer in the day of Saul slash Paul, he is the last person that you would ever think would be a follower of Jesus, so much so that when he became a follower of Jesus, the believers were afraid to let him be with them. This is who Paul was, but God, but God. We all have that moment in our story, don't we? This is who I was, but God. This is not the end of Paul's story because God had a plan for him. It says, verse, second half of verse 13 says, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and unbelief. Something happened that changed the trajectory of Paul's life. And he says that the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. He says, I obtained mercy. In the Greek, this, this word, obtain mercy, it's just one word. It's L-A-O. And it, I thought it was pretty funny because the, it says the word means to compassionate. Like you take compassion and then you just turn it into a verb. I'm going to compassionate. How many of you guys use that in a sentence? You know, we, we make words up, right? Englishify something. That's basically, they verbified it. What he says that what Jesus did is he showed compassion on Paul. He showed mercy on Paul. He compassionated Paul. Now, justice and judgment is what Paul deserved, Right? In some of our stories, if we were writing the story, we would have had Jesus show up on the road to Damascus with Paul, or Saul, who'd been killing Christians and blaspheming Jesus, and like, blow him to pieces. We'd be like, he got the bad guy. 
right? That's how a lot of us would want the story to go. And we like a good story where the good guy shows up and destroys the bad guy. And that's going to be our story one day, right? Jesus is going to, he's going to destroy Satan in the end. But he showed up and he showed mercy and compassion to Paul, right? And that's the same story that we have as well, is as sinners guilty before Jesus, guilty of sin, we deserve judgment. We deserve justice. But instead, Jesus has given us mercy. And Paul says he received it because he did it ignorantly in unbelief. Now, as, as Paul himself said in, in Acts 26, he says that he thought that doing things contrary to the name of Jesus was the right thing to do. In Philippians 3, he's talking about how he was the most zealous Pharisee, and he says, I persecuted the church. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. He thought he was being like the Pharisee of Pharisees in this persecuting the followers of Jesus. And I think this is why it's, it was mercy that Jesus gave him because he was deceived. He thought he was doing this service for God and he was deceived and Jesus showed up and said, no, no, you are persecuting the one who you think in your mind that you are serving. But not only mercy did he receive, but he received grace as well. He says the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Now grace is, is the favor of God or the power of God working in us to do what is right and to serve God. So Jesus just show, shows up and not only gives him mercy and, and instead of the judgment that he deserved, but he also gave him the grace to, to do the right thing, but not just a little bit. He says the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant. Again, in the Greek, it's just one word, but the Greek is, just has this ability to be very uh, detailed that we need a bunch of words to explain it. Um, and Paul actually, he definitely made up some words where he just smashed words together and said, this is what it's going to be uh, because this is what it takes to explain it. Now, this word is, is hooper pleonazo. Now, hooper means over or more or above and beyond. And the second half is, is pleonazo, which means to abound. So we could have said the grace of God abounded to me. And that would have been like, you know, there's a lot of it. But he said it, it, it above and beyond abounded. So where Paul's sin might have abounded, says God's grace literally superabounded. So there's this much sin that Paul had, and God's grace was super abounding, above and beyond. And the result of that was a changed life. He says, the grace of our Lord is exceedingly abundant with faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. So you think of the contrast of, he said, I did this ignorantly in unbelief. So where there was unbelief, now there's faith something has changed. And before he talked about, I was a blasphemer and a persecutor and an insolent man, instead of that, there is love in Christ Jesus. That's what the grace of God does in our life. It, it works out, it removes, it purges out the works of darkness in our heart, and it replaces them with the fruit of the Spirit. And that is what Jesus came to this earth to do. It's what Jesus came to do. Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. This is his way of saying, listen up, hear this, believe this. Like, if you're not paying attention, pay attention now. He said, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. 
I think there are two things in that statement that Paul tells us that we need to understand. Number one is that we are sinners. We are sinners. Jesus said it's not the, the, the healthy who need a doctor, it's the sick who need a doctor. That is why Jesus came, is to help those who are sick. And until we can come to grips with the fact and admit that we are broken, sinful people, Jesus is no good to us. And he will do us no good as long as we think that we can do it on our own because we'll keep Jesus at bay. But the second thing that we need to understand is that Christ Jesus came to us. He came into this world to sinners. He saw us in our brokenness and our hopelessness and he came toward us. He came into this world to save us. He didn't stand far off and throw down a, a life ring and say, you know, get back up or throw down a rescue ladder and say, now climb your way up. No, he came to us. This reminded me of, of a, a quote from uh, this book that I've read called Gentle and Lowly, which is a great book about basically just expounding the daylights out of that verse where Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And it says, it says this, it says, the cumulative testimony of the four gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of the world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering, not away from it. His deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move toward that sin and suffering and not away from it. The, the, the author, Dane Ortland, he, he kind of gives some, some analogies. He talks about like, like a good doctor moves towards a sick or injured person. Or you think of a, a good firefighter. They see someone trapped in a burning building and they're going to move towards that person, not away. Right? And the worse the injury, the, the quicker the doctor is going to work, the quicker the doctor is going to move. The bigger the fire, the more urgency that a firefighter is going to move with. They're not going to be like, well, there's a fire. I can't go in there. No, that's their job. That's their desire. That's their heart is to move towards the person in need in order to rescue them. And that is Jesus' heart towards us. You know, we, it's very easy when we tend to believe this very easy that Jesus is so repulsed by our sin that we're too messed up for him. We have too much baggage, too much sin. That's not true because his heart is to move towards us out of the, the heart of compassion and love that he has for us. And listen, if, the, if Jesus' response to Paul's blasphemy and persecution of his people was to show him compassion and mercy, I think all of us in this room can rest assured that he's going to show us the same mercy and grace for our sin and brokenness. And that's why Paul says, of whom I am chief. He came to save sinners of whom I am chief. And you think there's, there's a sense in which Paul's sin was not merely that of a liar or a thief or something like that. I know all sin is, you know, you break one commandment, it's like breaking all of them. But Paul was not just passively like living his life and, and like, I don't want to follow Jesus. No, he was vehemently opposed to Jesus and his people, murdering them, hunting them down, causing them to blaspheme. Paul's sin was blatant and abundant and public. And I think that might be why the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to call himself the chief of sinners. But Jesus knew that. 
right? He knew who Paul was when he brought him to salvation. And he did that because he wanted to make Paul a trophy of his grace and his power. He says in verse 16, he says, you know, I'm the chief of sinners. However, for this reason, I obtained mercy. Paul was well known in the public eye. And his transformation, it would not and it did not go unnoticed. He says, I obtained mercy that in me first, Jesus Christ might show all long-suffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe on him for everlasting life. He says, in me, right? Paul was going to be a prime example, a vivid demonstration of the mercy and long-suffering of Jesus, of the patience of Jesus. He says, as a pattern, right? He's, Jesus is showing him long-suffering as a pattern, as an example Right, for an example for everyone who would come to know Jesus. We can all look at Paul's life and say, look what Jesus has done. Look what Jesus has done. Right, Jesus took Paul from a murderer of Christians, a hater of Jesus, to a lover of Jesus and an encourager of the believers. From a man who persecuted the Christians zealously to a man who is used to write 13 or 14 of the 27 books in the New Testament. This is a massive transformation that Jesus did in Paul's life. And Jesus gets all the glory and the credit for. And so when you and I look at Paul's life, which we should, because that's what Jesus saved him for. Jesus did this in an extreme way so that we can look at it and be encouraged. And I think there's a handful of ways that we can be encouraged by this. First, maybe we think, as is easy to, maybe you think that you've sinned too much or too badly, you've blown it too much, even to be able to follow Jesus, right? We, you, it's very easy to think, I just gotta clean up myself, I gotta like, just let some time, you know, just pass before I can follow Jesus because I've just blown it. But you gotta remember, Jesus saved Paul who murdered Christians and hated Jesus. Paul's sin was forgiven and washed away. Jesus showed mercy to him. He poured out grace on Paul abundantly. He transformed Paul's life, and he can transform yours as well. Because it's his grace, not your ability, that does the transforming. Now, another thing that's very easy to think, uh, but that we need to draw from this, is, is maybe you think, Okay, I know I can come to Jesus, I know I can be saved, but, but I'm probably just always gonna be like a second-class Christian, right? There's those people who kinda have it all figured out and they never really did anything too bad and they know all the things and, and they don't have a past and, and, and all that. And so they can be used by God, right? The elite Christians, the, the good Christians, who are the ones who seem all smart and eloquent and gifted and have it all together, there are no second-class Christians. We are all, the lowest class, and it's only the grace of Jesus that has changed us and transformed us. If Jesus can use Paul, he can use you. I think we forget Paul was not some like big macho dude with like slick back hair, like going around doing all those things. He was like, people made fun of him. He was like this short guy and he maybe had eye problems and, and he was not something to look at with all this charisma drawing people to him. If Jesus used Paul, he can use you. Paul had a past. He had done terrible things. I would say Paul has done 
worse things. I don't know all of you, but even if I did, I think I'm safe to say Paul did worse things than any of y'all have ever done, right? But Jesus used Paul. He transformed him by his grace. You know, we see Paul, he even referred to himself as the least of the apostles. Uh, One of those times being in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 and 10, he says, For I am the least of the apostles, and and I'm unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You you can can see that, that his past in some way still weighed on him. Like he realized, I should not be here, right? Why, why wasn't it like John, the disciple who Jesus loved, who God used to write half the New Testament? Or why wasn't it, you know, Andrew? You never read anything bad about Andrew. Like Peter went and put his foot in his mouth, and he, he, he got a couple, chap, you know, a couple books in. Like why didn't God use one of the other disciples who walked with him like he had 11 others to choose from? But God used Paul. God used Paul. Verse 10 of, of 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not in vain. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul says in light of that, he's going to lean harder on God's grace because it's God's grace that transformed him. I think the third thing that we can draw from this, looking at the life of Paul, is realize that you are a trophy of God's grace. God has begun a good work in you and he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. And the work that he has done in your life is meant to be a testimony of God's grace for people around you. Has God ever done anything in your life? Anybody? That means that you have something that God has worked in you. It's not just for you, but it's meant to be shared. It's meant to be used. We're not all the same. Look around. We're not all the same person with the same story and the same background and the same experiences. No, we all have a variety of things that we have walked through, things that we, ways that we grew up, things that we experienced, things that we've done. And God has met you in the place where you are, the person that you are, with your own quirks and personality and, and background and baggage and hurt and brokenness, all of it. And he said, I'm going to let my grace transform you right where you are. Now, we're not all the same, but whatever you've walked through, somebody else has walked through and somebody else is going to walk through. Like first, I believe it's first Thessalonians that says he comforts us with his comfort so that we can comfort others. That is another way of saying that the grace that God has given to us is meant to be a testimony, a trophy to other people to look at your life and say, you know, I kind of went through that similar thing. I kind of grew up a similar way. I kind of had some of the same struggles, but God brought you through it. So maybe he can bring me through it. It's very easy to think that there's just a select few people, you know, the people who, you know, stand up here on Sunday morning or who write books, who God, God can use those people. No, God has poured his grace exceedingly abundantly out on you because there are other people that God wants to use you to minister to. It's not about you. What Paul did here, and, and I hope you notice that in these six or seven verses, 
Paul's, there were, Paul gave four words describing who he was. Some insolent, blasphemer, and the chief of sinners. The rest of the time, he was talking about the exceedingly abundant grace of Jesus using all these double smashed together words to talk about what Jesus has done. He, he wasn't giving testimony to, man, look how bad I was, right? Sometimes testimonies can kind of become that where you're like, well, you know, I did this many bad things. I, well, I did this many bad things. No, no, the point of a testimony and what Paul gives us is, look, this is who I was, but man, look at Jesus. Look what he has done. Look what he has done. You know, there are people who are going to resonate with your story of God's grace that my stories don't resonate with, and vice versa. So every story of God's grace is one that needs to be told, right? Your story, by your story, I mean the story that you have of God's grace is one that needs to be told. So I want to encourage all of us, look for an opportunity to share what God has done you know, that one of the things that I've, I've heard said is, is that the, the best, most irrefutable evidence for the existence of God is what He has done in your life. Because you can argue, how did we get here and how did the world start and all these things? None of us were there, right? But you can't argue, I used to be this person and Jesus changed me and now I'm this person. You can't argue that. So look for an opportunity to testify of what Jesus has done in your life. The last verse talks about how grace produces praise. Paul, it's like he can't even help himself. He's talking about what Jesus has done, and he just wells up with this, this beautiful verse of praise. He says, now to the king eternal, literally the king of the ages, the one who's always existed. He says, immortal, right, undecaying, incorruptible, invisible, right? You can't see him, yet you can see him, but he's, he's invisible to our, our human eye. He says, to God who alone is wise, or, or to God alone, there is none like him. He says, be honor, right? To honor means to, to see something as valuable. Be honor and glory, to speak well of. All of that, he says, forever and ever. He deserves endless praise. So what the grace of God that was poured out in Paul's life, as he was telling it, it produced in him a response of praise, a response of praise. Um, Jesse's going to come up and lead us in one more song. We're going to sing Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone. And I just want uh, to encourage all of us um, to just take a minute to, to meditate, to remember what Jesus has done in your life, and then let that overflow into praise. I'm going to end in prayer and then we'll sing. Oh, Lord Jesus, we, we thank you, Lord, that um, when I was formerly a, a proud and self-righteous and self-centered young man, you showed me mercy. When we were dead in sin, when we were enemies, your enemies, Christ died for the ungodly. Lord, thank you that you have given us mercy, that justice has been satisfied in Jesus at the cross, and that you have not just left us uh, in a place of, of receiving your mercy and not receiving your, your judgment, but you've given us grace to get up and walk a new life, to walk in newness of life. 
that you've filled us with your spirit. You've chosen to allow your very spirit to dwell in us, Lord. And apart from your grace, that would be impossible. Lord, I pray that you would just bring to mind, Lord, even now, um, all the ways that you have been faithful to us, all the ways that you have changed us and transformed us, Lord. And I pray that um, you'd allow our hearts to just respond uh, with just a cry of praise and adoration for who you are and what you've done, Lord. But Jesus, we just thank you for saving us. And we just pray these things in your name. Amen.